Good morning. This is probably the most challenging conversation about the Lord's Supper that we ever have. And we do have it in the life of the church often enough. And uh, it's the fourth of our series. And it'll, in a minute, I'll have a review of the first three to kind of pull it all together. But it's a, it's a huge conversation that often happens on the fly in the hallway right before church starts so the privilege that we have today is that it's during the sermon and we have the most verbose man in the room that's going to take care of this so we can have a conversation i know it's kind of one way but happy to to share with you god's word about the matter of what is the what is the union and communion so last saturday the cricket team from india went to england Go ahead and do that slide, Ian. I don't know if you saw this, but it was on the 10 o'clock news like on Tuesday of last week. The cricket team went to India. It was a celebratory doubleheader. You know, cricket's a, a big deal in other countries. It's a, get becoming a bigger deal as we have immigrants here in our country, but it was huge. A lot of fans were there. And uh, it was a, a celebratory doubleheader because they lost last year's season because of COVID. That fellow right there is a, an Englishman who went and made a uniform and dressed up like a cricket player from India. And he snuck past, because he was wearing the uniform, two security guards and made it out onto the cricket field while thousands watched. He, do, he doesn't even look like a cricket player, I guess. You know, he's not an athlete. And uh, it made the 10 o'clock news in Austin, Texas, as they showed a, a brief video clip. And I thought, ah, that's going to help me get introduced to the sermon. Uh, you would watch that, and if you weren't thinking the preacher was in your house, you might laugh and say, what an idiot. <laughs> but I don't mean it that way, that sarcastic way. The word idiot is not a bad word, but little kids don't use it unless your parents teach you how. Because it is, it can be used most of the time in a bad way. But the word idiot, actually the, the morphology of the word is that it means of one's own opinion someone doing their own thing and not conforming to a bigger plan or a bigger picture or a bigger truth and that's where the word started in greek and it's found in your greek new testament being of one's own opinion so this man was of his own opinion and we all smile you can see the guy that's from the he's like the coach of the indian team in the, the bottom right corner he's laughing as they carried him off because it was funny and uh but it's not reverent for cricket right you don't get to play just because you want put on a uniform you don't get to call the shots and set the rules the cricket organization does and the teams and the refs and the they, they umpires they do you don't. Now, the, why did I start that way? That's the way I feel when I'm standing in the narthex as a shepherd getting dressed down by somebody who wants to make their own rules about the Lord's Supper. I'm thinking, whoa, just wait a second. We got to look and see what God says about the Lord's Supper. And we don't want to make assumptions across the conversation either way. Let's just slow down. 
and let's, let, let's be reverent about the Lord's Supper. So today, the opposite of idios, which is the Greek-sounding word, is, is uh, to be reverent. Reverence is deep respect. That's what it is. Deep respect for God and his thing. You know, with young couples, and we have several that are get engaged to be married, one of the things we try to emphasize in the first uh, couple of sessions is marriage is God's thing, not your thing. Once you say, I do, then you've, invite, you've entered God's thing, and God just makes the rules. Lord's Supper is God's thing. None of us invented it. I didn't invent it. You didn't invent it. We all get to enjoy it and experience it, but it's his thing. So at the very least, you want to know if you're going to, if you're going to uh, exert your own thoughts about the Lord's Supper, know what you're talking about. The Lord, that's, what, that's why I rejoice that Pastor Herring said, let's do a series on the Lord's Supper. And he organized these four conversations. And I think as a package, they're going to be very helpful if you want to have them in the future to kind of review as you're driving down the road, listening to the audio of these four conversations about the Lord's Supper. For your own soul's sake, so that you have the benefit, and it is a benefit, of being reverent about it. Where in the Bible is the Lord's Supper? It's only in five places. Now, if... Just real quickly, I'm challenging you, and I know I'm doing that, but I'm trying to do this to help you. I'm being like the umpire right at the gate. If you didn't even know it was in five places only, that already tells you you're not the expert about the Lord's Supper. Sit at God's feet and listen and take it in as a child of God with reverence and respect what he says about the Lord's Supper. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke on the night when he was betrayed by Jesus. Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper in the middle of the Jewish Passover. And then later in the history of the New Testament, one church got a letter with two places in it about the Lord's Supper because they were making some pretty big mistakes with how they practiced it. Hello? The very early church struggled to practice it the way God wanted. So we, the fact that we all struggle as churches all over the world with our opinions about the Lord's Supper and how to practice it, is nothing new. It happened in the very first churches in Corinth, Greece. And they had two problems that we can tell when we look at 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. And the, the, the first of the two, I mean, the, that we covered, was the second in the letter. It's in chapter 11. Pastor Herring covered that last week when he talked about being a worthy communicant. And it's uh, in chapter 11, they were taking the Lord's Supper as part of a regular meal, treating it like regular wine and regular food, not like in reverence the what? The body and blood of the Lord. And so if anybody takes the Lord's Supper, not revering it as the body and blood of the Lord, they take it inappropriately. I'm being careful not to say take it to their own judgment in the today's environment just as a blanket statement because some churches as a theology say it's not the body and blood of Christ. The Corinthians it wasn't mostly a theology. It was just an irreverence. So there was, a, there was an attitude problem on top of it. 
We covered that last week. The first week when I preached, we covered the covenants. The, this is the new covenant <clears throat> that replaces the law covenant and the Lord's Supper is the meal of the new covenant reminding you that the covenant has got one statement. I forgive your sins and your wickedness and it, I'll remember them no more. It's beautiful. That's reverent. That's wonderful, right? When you come up and take it. So then the second week, we, uh, Pastor Herring talked about, what was it, sacrifice? Oh, no, Pastor Herring talked about the new covenant. I talked about the sacrifice. In the, <laughs> I've talked about the new covenant so much, and, then I, and I'm getting some heimers that <clears throat> I thought I'd preach that. So sac the sacrifice of Jesus. You remember all the bloody sacrifices of the Old Testament? Jesus replaced all of them. And that's the thing about the blood and the body. When we as Christians take the Lord's Supper, <clears throat> we are saying, this is the body and blood of the once for all sacrifice for little old me and all of my sins, and he took them all away. And then last week, I already covered, Pastor talked about worthiness from chapter 11. Now, to have the conversation about the union with God like this and the union with people like this in the Lord's Supper, the place in the Bible that we go is 1 Corinthians 10. So God wants us to sit in reverence, not be of our own opinion, and say, Lord, teach me. We've got that hymn at the beginning of church sometimes, speak, O Lord, and you, we will listen. And he wants you to let him teach you, but he's going to teach you from a passage that is from a, a, a situation that's not exactly like ours. It was different, the situation. But the truth has far-reaching application, and it'll be helpful if you'll just follow me, okay? Just hang with me. So let me just real quickly tell you, the Corinthians in Corinth, Greece, were raw converts. Many of them spent most of their, all of their childhood and most of their adult lives in pagan society of their day that was replete with pagan worship of idols that had sacrifices involved. Chickens, lambs, calves, other things. Those pagan temples that they frequented in, before they became Christians as part of their culture and their family and their worship, they were, they were often um, involved temple prostitutes and fertility rites that included the worshipers getting involved in all kinds of immoral stuff too. They had been called out of that to repentance and forgiveness and Jesus and they had the joy of salvation and they were given the Lord's Supper and the Apostle Paul had stayed there for him a pretty long time, 18 months. And after he left, we already covered chapter 11, but in chapter 10, the pragmatists in the congregation took the lead and started leading each other to say pragmatically, it would be okay and helpful since we have freedom in Christ 
for us to worship with our pagan family members at their temple, which remember, we're not usually on Sunday. The whole idea of Sunday being the day of worship is much later in history uh, fully developed, but the Christians were worshiping on Sunday, right? So they'd go to the pagan temples during other days of the week with them. And they would eat from the sacrifices like they always had, which was part of the re religious rite. If they went into the temple and ate as part of the worship service, they were eating and as part of the religious rite. They would, all, that's R-I-T-E, <laughs> right. They would, they would also bring their pagan families and say, when we gather as Christians, come and be with us and uh, you can partake of the Lord's Supper too. The pragmatists were saying, this is, this is inclusion. This is what it means to be modern and broad-minded and, and uh, loving. And Paul said, hold it. That's chapter 10. Hold it. Let me talk to you about that. Going over there and being part of their worship service and eating their sacrifices and bringing them to eat the Lord. So wait, let's talk about this. And that's these two paragraphs. So if you can have your bullets in front of you, watch the screen. Uh, we'll read through them and I'll explain them how they apply to us today. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks? He's talking about the, the blood in the wine in the Lord's Supper. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of that one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices, he's talking about ancient Israel, right? Jerusalem, the, the Jews. Do they not participate in the altar? Do I mean then that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are really offered to demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he is? That, those last two lines, are we trying to arouse him to jealousy? Are we stronger than he is? It's, saying, it's, it's a lot like me saying, be reverent, don't be of your own opinion. Are, are, you, are you just going to be a pragmatist and say, I can just decide what I'm going to do? Or are you going to use the Lord's Supper in full reverence and honor of God because you're united with him? Then that first paragraph, he says, uh, when you take the body and blood together, you all become one loaf together. He says in the second paragraph, you, when you eat the sacrifices, you are participating completely in the altar. You can't say, well, I'm just eating the chicken. I'm not really participating. While you're in the worship service. Now, other places in Corinthians and in Romans, Paul said if, you, if they take the leftovers and they sell them in the marketplace, 
and they had been sacrificed and you buy them there, you're not making a statement. You're not saying it's all, this worship of demons is all okay. You're just buying meat. And he goes, some people uh, can do that with a clear conscience, some cannot, but that's up to you personally. But here, if it's in the worship service, game rules change. There's security guards at every entrance. We're not going to do this irreverently. Why? It's God's thing, not our thing. But we're, we're going to enjoy it. We're going to enjoy it properly, right? So he says, don't bring someone to the altar who's not a Christian and become one loaf with them. Just for a moment, let me have an aside. If you don't believe in the real presence of Christ's body and blood, Paul's argument is, falls apart. He builds his argument on the real presence so of Christians, most non-denominational, I'm going to be very frank here because I'm your shepherd and I love you and I want you to, this society that we live in that says you can't just say it like it is, they need to get a grip, okay? Most churches that are Protestant do not believe or teach a real presence of the body and blood of Christ. They have members in their churches that believe it, but most of them do not teach it. Baptist seminaries, Assembly of God seminaries, Methodist seminaries, all of the non-denom seminaries, almost across the board, do not teach. Even the Presbyterian church does not really teach a real presence of the body and blood of Christ. And I'll just say what I told a group of high school kids about 10 years ago at a, a public high school assembly. It's okay to have an opinion, and it's okay in the community that you live in to be different based upon a moral foundation and a teaching that you believe. Don't say we've all got to be the same. The Bible says here in chapter 10, if you take the loaf of the bread, you're taking the body of Christ and becoming one with the people with whom you commune. That's what the Bible says. It says if you drink the wine, you're drinking the blood and you become one with the people with whom you commune. In a, in a godly, spiritual, his kind of way. The Bible says this is wonderful because it's that feeling of wholeness. I'm made whole with you through the grace and the sacrament, through the blood of Christ. I'm made whole with God by the same. And so I'm close to God, union. I'm close to you, union. This is wonderful. We've got it all together. So don't invite a pagan up to the Lord's Supper. But that's their scenario. 99.9% of the people that visit churches are not pagans like the Corinthians that they were inviting, right? Our situation is different. And for 2,000 years, with only five places in the Bible to go on, churches have had discussions about who when you're assembled to take the Lord's Supper as a group, as a church, who should and should not commune together, right? It's not just a European discussion or a Lutheran discussion. It's been a discussion if you, and, and most people don't know their history, especially their church history, but it's been a discussion for 2,000 years. You can find writings about who should and should not 
communion. And there were lots of different reasons. One was uh, they were telling the Roman officials that the, if they came in and communed and saw them commune, that they're being cannibalistic because they say they're drinking the blood of Christ. And they were hauling them off, persecuting them to death for being cannibals. You know, that's not our situation either, right? Having somebody infiltrate our group so we have to take the Lord's Supper in secret. But down through the history, everybody's asked, at what point should I say maybe we shouldn't take the Lord's Supper together? It's about reverence. It's not being of your own opinion. It's about reverence for God and reverence for the people you commune with. Long time ago, I got a call, phone call from a pastor 2,000 miles away. We have a, a member of our church that transferred to your area, and I just want to give you a little background so you can help him. It's been a really rough last year because of the many ways that he had hurt people in his church. A lot of them said they would not take communion with him. He said, this is going to be an opportunity for a clean slate. Because the Lord's Supper, he doesn't have all these people mad at him right at the table. For that very reason, uh, when we teach this in our beginner's class, like our Bible information class that some of you are taking, or maybe we, we're calling it the newcomer's class, or our catechism class, when we get to the Lord's Supper, we go to Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus was in a Jewish context, this is what he said. If you come to the Jewish temple and bring in a sacrifice for your sins to God, but while you're standing there worshiping reverence, you remember that your brother has something against you, stop. Leave your gift there and go be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Reverence. In 1 John, it's not about the Lord's Supper. It's about relationships. John says, don't you say I love God and hate your brother. So those two things, holding a grudge or the first one I mentioned, having a sin against somebody that you're not willing to make amends, they should make you self-exclude from the Lord's Supper too. That's what we teach out of reverence. We're not bringing a gift to the Jewish altar, but we're coming to the gift of the Christ altar where we call this the sacrament of the altar. We, we have Christ's body and blood here. It is a watershed for you to do an evaluation. Hello, last week, examination, 1 Corinthians 11, that you would examine your heart and your life and go, is there somebody that I need to apologize to, make amends for sin against them? The Lord's Supper is an occasion to make you do that. It's a gut check. It's reverence. My, uh, my parents taught me emotionally by li in living color, living out the uh, reverence for the Lord's Supper. Living in their home, you're in tight quarters, right? All sinners packed together in between two, you mean four walls, right? I heard him spat Saturday night. My dad served communion with the pastor. He helped him. He'd come and get his black robe, Geneva robe on, come out and help Pastor, I was so proud of my dad doing that. This one Sunday after they'd had a spat Saturday night and my dad got up early to go to church there. He was up there leading communion, but my mother, as soon as communion started, stepped out and went to 
to the bathroom. I'm sitting there in the pew. She didn't commute. I asked her later, because I was bothered by this, why didn't you go to the Lord's Supper? She said, I haven't apologized to your dad yet. I can't just walk up there. She had reverence for my dad. I'm not just to walk up there and take communion when he's serving it, and I haven't made that right. You don't forget that as a kid, right? Suddenly, it means something, Mama. It means something. It's not just a passage my pastor made me memorize. First, go reconcile to your brother. It's real. My dad grew up in the Catholic Church. We have some of you that are Catholics that come with your families here. The Catholic Church teaches a little bit different about the Lord's Supper than we do. They teach that the, 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 the priest is a priest because he sacrifices Christ again in an unbloody way. That's what the ringing of the bell is as he breaks the bread and says, receive this sacrifice. That's why masses, it's called the mass, are said privately for people, even people that Catholic adherents believe are in purgatory. You can have, pay for a mass to be said for them. It's a belief about the Lord's Supper that came into being in the, in the 1100s uh, in Europe. It's not in those five places in the Bible. So we don't believe that I, or Pastor Herring, or anybody else leading, sacrifices Christ again. We believe he just comes with his body and blood in his present in a sacramental way. So it's not quite the same. My dad grew up in that. We were visiting family for a vacation, and we went to church with them at the Catholic Church. And I'm this little kid, like 10 years old, and I go, what are we going to do? And when it's time for the Lord's Supper, my parents very respectfully stayed seated. Why didn't you go up, Daddy? Well, we don't believe exactly the same as they do, they said later in the car. Very respectful, very loving, and very right. It's okay if you don't believe the same if in, in society, right? So we're not talking, I didn't, that statement wasn't about just you and your, I mean, my shepherd's heart about you and your walk with God, but it's in society. You, it's okay, like I told those high school kids, it's all right. You don't just conform and hop up. But I'm worried about my children in my church growing up thinking like Austin, saying, you just got to hop up and go because we're all included. Whoa. This is a reverent thing. It's a, this is a conversation Pastor Herring is leading us to have, and I'm going to say it. I had a friend in Oklahoma, Church of Christ Church, little country church. Never been to one in my life at that time. Went to church, and they have communion every Sunday. So does the Catholic Church every Sunday but there's no wine and it certainly isn't the body and blood of Christ they'll emphasize it they emphasized it when the fellow was and you can't call him pastor in that church you call him brother and the, when the brother that was preaching get led the Lord's Supper he said this is not the the blood of Christ and it's not wine it's grape juice but feel free anybody that's a Christian can take it instead of getting up they passed it on a tray in front of you but my parents had modeled it, and my pastor had taught it, so as it passed by very lovingly, reverently, respectfully, I just passed the tray to the next person. Nobody hurt, nothing done wrong, right? On vacation with my family in southeastern United States, with my kids, three of them anyway, uh, 
there's no Lutheran church in the area. We wanted to go to church on Sunday. I wanted to check something new out. I'm a preacher. I never get to go anywhere but my own church. And so I went to the Episcopal church, and they were having the Lord's Supper. Now, the Episcopal church has a wide range of views of the Lord's Supper and many other doctrines that are, that are uh, different than ours. But they're, they're, some of their pastors' views of the Lord's Supper are very, very, very similar to ours. But when it's time to go to the Lord's Supper, my kids go, what are we going to do? Well, the preacher said, if you want to come up and cross your arms, we'll say a word, a blessing to you, because you're not comfortable communing with us. Beautiful, reverent, acknowledging. And so there I was, your Welsh pastor at the front of the Episcopal Church with my arms crossed. Lightning didn't strike me, right? But I was, my statement was, yep, I'm not. I'm, I'm a, you know, secret, I'm a Lutheran pastor, you know. I'm, but I'm up here recognizing your worship. And I, he had a fantastic sermon about justification. So I know I'm getting down in the weeds with you, but I, I think on a conversation about union, where it's your union, that you need that and you want that, okay? What is our prayer? What is our hope? That all God's people would embrace all the truth about the Lord's Supper and all could commune together reverently without this. What's the reality? That will happen in heaven. That kind of togetherness. Until then, we've got letters like 1 Corinthians where an apostle is having to help people discern the difference and say to some people at the door, you know, we, you, you need to wait. Another interesting, and I'm closing now, um, before I close this way, let me just say a couple more positive things. That you would have a feeling or an opinion at all about the Lord's Supper and anything I'm saying makes me very happy, even if you don't fully agree and I've aggravated you a little bit. You know why? Because it's important to you. It's important to you because you're a Christian and you have faith and the Lord's, Lord's, you've got experience with the Lord's Supper and you're swirling around and you're thinking about it and you're thinking, we've stirred you up. It says in Hebrews 10, gather together to stir each other up to love and good deeds. And if I have kept you this long talking and you're still stirred up about the Lord's Supper, you are very much alive in your faith even if you're not in fully walking the same path with me yet. I'm okay with that, because the Lord's Supper is beautiful and it's that important. In watching the news, that small clip with the fella, go to that slide again, Ian, that the news, um, the reporter on the, on the news station in Austin, the, the sports reporter, he said, this guy got past two security guards. There's going to be a serious talk, or maybe they'll lose their jobs. He just quipped, quipped that real fast. See, the cricket, the cricket organization expects their security to have a conversation with a guy that's trying to break into the field, right? To stop him and turn him around. You expect the shepherd of a congregation to own the not-so-often-popular job to converse with people about the reverence of the Lord's Supper, don't you? 
When I was in seminary, um, that was a long time ago, I can still see his face. We were all sitting on the edge of our seat because we grew up Lutherans. He said, today we're going to have the discussion about Lord's Supper and who should and should not commune at any given Sunday. And he goes, I'm going to tell you something. This one will ruin some of your Sundays as pastors. There's nothing worse than to be all excited about bringing a message from God's word and in the narthex have someone upset with you because you had, it's like you had a birthday party but told them they couldn't eat any of the cake. And I'm not looking for pity. I'm looking for you to have some prayerful understanding. It is God's will that we be reverent. But it's not just a reverence with God. It's a reverence with each other in what we believe and teach. It's a reverence about truth and that truth matters. And that, 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 we're, that we're one in fellowship in the word of God and in our faith and in our behavior with each other when we come up to the Lord's Supper. You don't hear me talk about this Sunday after Sunday when we have the Lord's Supper because it can be so often taken as a big rules game. And then the, you lose the idea of the beautiful grace that's being given here. But when we have a sermon series, and it's the point of the conversation, it's like we just entered catechism class for the time that I'm preaching to you and it's very heartfelt but I'm asking you for the for for the your blessing and your comfort and your encouragement for your pastor Herring for our staff and for your pastor Patterson that you would get behind us that you would share with your friends and family how wonderful the Lord's Supper is but how to be reverent with it and that you would not apologize that someone may even have to take a Bible study with the pastor before they commune with us because they're from a different uh, paradigm or a different stripe. There's nothing wrong with that. That's actually wonderful that we'd be willing to take the time to do that. But we're asking you to, to support that and be a part of that conversation in your lives. So if you want to say, well, give us a chance to say we will, I'll just say, and all God's people said, Amen. all right, thank you.